If we could just thank Jared and the worship team for the hard work they do. Also, the guys in the AV booth, they work really hard too, and which is mortifying. Just the thought of having to deal with what I put them through each and every Sunday. Uh, we are in a series called Advent with the Apostles, not to be confused with the subtitle for me, which is Advent with the Flu, but... It's been one of those weeks. We are uh, on the road to recovery. If you have your Bibles, and I would love for you to have that, I want you to open to Philippians chapter 4. Today we're looking at uh, the apostle that really wrote the bulk of the New Testament, even though he was an apostle that was out of time. Not in the sense that I run out of time or you run out of time, but that Paul did not really walk with Jesus in the 12 disciples since he came to follow Jesus on the Damascus road. And when we meet with him in this text, we're seeing that Paul is going to talk to us about joy, which I love because Paul had in this world's understanding of what joy is, not a lot of reasons to be filled with it. To be filled with joy. I'm not sure if you have heard your favorite song on the radio yet this uh, holiday season or maybe on your Spotify. I'm sure you have. Or I'm not sure if you've missed the songs that we try to miss. Uh, And we know what those are too. Some families have games where they try to make sure uh, they're the last one who hears, Mary, did you know? Which I think she did. Uh, But... Some of those songs are really called earworms. You may have heard of an earworm. If you're unfamiliar with the term, it's new. You're welcome. Consider it a stocking stuffer. Uh, Earworm refers to a catchy piece of music that continually repeats through your mind after it's not playing anymore. Let me give you some examples of earworms. uh, Earworms. Earworms. Uh, Happy by Pharrell. Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. Baby Shark by Satan. Some, some classic ones, uh, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. I did find my son Charlie singing Living on a Prairie. <laughs> nope, that even means. We Will Rock You by Queen. Gonham Style by Sai. Sometimes you may have those in worship. Many of the songs that we sing here, you may get it stuck in your head. You're singing it through the week. Uh, Christian radio is full of these songs that get stuck with us. Christian radio may be the worst for it because they play the same songs longer than anybody else does. Uh, Christmas season provides one for me in particular, and it's probably not one of your Christmas earworms. When I was in college, I worked at the United Parcel Service. That's UPS Brown. Uh, I was sorting, sorting boxes, and I also sorted mail with a man who was working there part-time. And he had a great singing voice, and he would sing a song by a man by the name of Charles Brown over and over. And it was called, Please Come Home for Christmas. Anyone familiar with this song? Okay, great. I'm not going to sing it to you, because I don't do that when I'm healthy, much less when I'm not feeling great. But I'm going to read the lyrics to you. I may hit a rhythm in a minute. We never know what the Lord's going to do in our midst today. Bells will be ringing with glad, glad news. Oh, what a Christmas to have the blues. My baby's gone. I have no friends to wish me greetings once again. Choirs will be singing silent night. Christmas carols by candlelight. Please come home for Christmas. Please come home for Christmas. If not for Christmas by New Year's night, 
Friends and relations send salutations sure as the stars shine up. This is Christmas. Yes, Christmas, my dear, the time of year to be with the one that you love. Then you won't tell me you will never roam. Christmas and New Year's will find you home. There will be no sorrow, no grief or pain because I'll be happy, happy once again. I don't get to Christmas without this song activating in my brain. Because I stood by this man for four Christmases and he would sort mail to the various places that were going. They were going it was going in the country. Uh, and I would he would sing it over and over and over. It's a visceral feeling for me. It throws me back to a unique moment in my life before the internet and before ministry and pretty much before everything. And it goes on active repeat. I can't go through this season without it. When we get to the idea of, of joy, that's what Paul's going to pursue for us in today's text. That for the believer in Jesus, joy is on repeat for us. And even when it doesn't seem as if the song is playing, it should be present for us. So if you have your Bible, it's a great place to have, it's a great thing to have, and a great place to be is Philippians 4. I'm going to pick up in verses 4 through 9. We're going to work through that together as we consider Advent today. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your, let your graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything with prayer, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. The central idea of our text would, would be today that, that true joy is active. And honestly, as we look at this, we can even see that joy is a verb in the Scriptures. It functions in an active way. It doesn't, it's not simply a passive thing. We, as followers of Jesus, have been given this joy from God, and it is to be actively display, displayed by us as we seek to pursue God. And when we look at the idea of joy being a verb, here's what we can notice about it. Active joy, it's going to do a few things, and we'll see that as we work through the text today. One, active joy shows grace. Active joy shows grace. Secondly, active joy diffuses worry. Third, active joy needs prayer. So, when we're going to talk about what it means to be joy-filled, we need to know that active joy, it's going to show grace, it will diffuse worry, and it will need prayer. Uh, joy is a concept that we probably aren't having a lot of conversations about outside of Christmas season. We have confused it with, with happiness, even uh, wish list fulfillment. You may be dealing with the time of year where your children are making lists for you. 
for you to give to whomever you give that list to. And as you look at those lists, uh, you may even think to yourself how you feel as if, well, what if they don't get this? What happens if this doesn't take place? As we are providing wish lists. And sometimes for us as believers in Jesus, we act as if the idea of joy is, is that. It is something that we may or may not have. But in reality, when we look at joy in the scriptures, it is a, there is a certain certainty to it. The God, the God of joy that we have met in the person of Jesus, there is a certain certainty to his presence and what he does for us as people who walk with him, know him, love him, and more importantly are walked with by him, known by him, and loved by him. He has given us active joy for us to respond to, and I don't want us to miss that. When you go to verse 4 again, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Have joy over and over and over and over and over and over. O-V-A, over. Over, We are going to have that type of joy. We can't miss, when we look at this text, there's a bit of an irony to it, because the happiest, in the joy-filled sense, man in the whole nation of Rome is in a jail cell. Now, I've never been in jail, but I have been pulled over by the police for speeding. Really, I get pulled over more because a taillight goes out. But while you're sitting there pulled over, no one feels to themselves as, man, you know what's great? This situation right here. The conversation I'm about to have with this guy about how I'm a pastor. I do have that conversation. Uh, We are in these conversations, and I'm never in a place in those moments where I think to myself, this is just great. And you don't feel that either when you're sitting there interacting with an officer over your uh, misdeeds. Because I've seen the way you guys go down Oyster Creek. (laughs) When you look at the word rejoice in this passage, it's used, this verb is used to talk about numerous things throughout the scripture. And I don't want us to miss those. One is the birth of Jesus. We rejoice in that. Uh, Here are other ways we see it used. Uh, The lost stuff that you find in Luke's story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. We see that we're to rejoice in the rewards of God. We're to rejoice in the miracles of Jesus. And the word rejoice is is used in regard to the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. That word joy over and over and over. But for us, rejoicing is such an inward thing, and it definitely carries that idea. We know that we have deep joy of God given to us, and even in the face of life's circumstances and situations and sadnesses, it's there. I've got such joy. However, in old, it's not just an inward thing. It's an active... <coughs> Don't use this microphone. It's an active celebration. We actively celebrate. They celebrated the weirdest things. They celebrated the gods by having great festivals, especially Caesar, not the little one who gives us bad pizza. They celebrated the gods by having festivals that aligned with whatever that god's weird thing was. For these new Christians that you see in the book of Philippi, joy is not just inward. It's an outward celebration. It's the life of someone who has given themselves over to Jesus being actively displaying the good news of Jesus 
in their interactions with others. Regardless of the circumstance. In your frustrated moments at work, are we joy-filled people? When you're wrangling 10 to 12-year-olds as a school teacher, are you a joy-filled person? Celebrating Jesus as Lord and King encourages and strengthens loyalty and obedience to Him. Joy-filled people display joy in hopes of others seeing the value of it. Secondly, we see this in verse 5. The act of joy is going to show grace. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. This is where you see it leaking over from rejoice in the Lord always to the way that we act, react, and interact with others. We are seeing in this text... That Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, as you are interacting with whomever that person happens to be, know that your joy in the Lord is to be on display. It's a celebration in a sense. In the same way that the Romans would celebrate their pagan gods, I want you in your, at their festivals, I want you to celebrate your real God in your relationships. Our society is not really marked by graciousness. Is it? Is your life or my life marked by graciousness? Is this something we struggle with? We're marked by not graciousness but aggression. Because we've been told that if someone bites, we should bite back. Not marked by reason, but wrath, or not gentleness, but fury. As much as we talk about Christians being countercultural, we find ourselves in the cultural norms in the way that we interact with others. Everything in our lives is telling us that we should be rage filled. Social media tells us that. Politicians tell us that. They tell us that twice. Yet there's this Bible and there's this Savior in it who's called you to himself and has said that he is the deep joy of God to be presented through your everyday joy. Think about the the, the irony of this passage. The forceful advancement. Kingdom is forcefully advancing. Of the kingdom of God is seen in graciousness, gentleness, and patience. The forceful advancement of the kingdom of God is seen... In an innocent baby and his eventual death. The advancement of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a pearl in the middle of a field. He presents himself as a lamb. That doesn't mean that we overlook or or under emphasize his majesty and royalty. It just shows us the way that Jesus sees victory and the way that Jesus sees hope and the way that Jesus sees joy may not be what the world sees. We don't have to win fights for Jesus. There has never been an argument for you where you have made Jesus a better Jesus by your behavior. The word that's translated gentleness, graciousness, it's even reasonableness in the ESV because some of you guys were predestined to own that. It's to be part of the church's reputation. This isn't simply a matter of 
something that shows up every now and then. This is who we are as God's people. It says that the Lord is near. Make no bones about it. There is an Advent moment in this text for us. Because Paul is saying as we are showing the grace of God, the joy-filled grace of God as we rejoice over and over in our everyday lives, don't forget that the Lord is near to us. Now there is the general sense of the Lord being near to the brokenhearted, of Him being close to me and close to you. But Paul is referencing the second coming. That he believed that Jesus was going to come and bring the church home. Calling the church to himself. And what Paul is pointing out to us, for those who want to have the joy of God, is whatever disagreements we have in this world, those are temporary. And they will ultimately be squelched by the grace of God shown to us in Jesus. So, squelch them with grace right now. The most difficult days of some of our years are coming up in the next week. Because you're going to sit down with moms and dads and brothers and sisters and crazy uncles and they will say things off-putting and, and, and cringe-worthy. Would our response be anything but? Because we are the people of God, empowered by God by the pur- for the purposes of God. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. If you go back to the 80s, we can go to another earworm with Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In the world of Paul, worry and anxiety, that's just the way they lived. Because there was not a base joy that they would run to and respond from. The God Paul worships and the God that you and I claim to worship invites us to a different way to interact with the circumstances of our world. If we just try to put a Christian filter on the same malice, rage, anger that our world does, that's not Christianity. It's just, it, it's dolled up paganism. He doesn't say, straighten yourself up and come to me. That's what we want. Because that seems easier until you try to do it. Straighten yourself up and come to me. That's not the the voice of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's the voice of pagan gods. It's the voice of of Zeus. It's the voice of Aphrodite. It's the voice of all. Just you get yourself under control and, and you come and meet with me. And if that's the way we're treating Jesus, that's paganism. Jesus says this, the God in the flesh who we meet with and who we celebrate and who we t- 
partake of each week, in, in a sense, when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He doesn't say, fix yourself up and then you come to me. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Who doesn't need rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest. You'll find rest for your... I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want that God. That's what I want. Active God is going to diffuse worry. Well, how? How is it going to diffuse worry? Diffusers are really popular for yuppies. They take something and they just... Just everywhere. I think that's the technical term for it. Well, how do we diffuse worry? How do we get worry to go and leave us? Through prayer. And not just prayer, through variation of prayer. That's what Paul gives us here. Don't worry about anything, but in everything. But what about the stuff I've got figured out on my own? Do I need to pray about that? Yes, pray about it as you do what you're supposed to do. Through prayer and petition. What is prayer? Prayer is when we, as a people, talk to God. Through petition, we request of God. It's even more than a request. Request doesn't quite get to the tone of it. It's to to bother God. God wants you to bother Him about stuff do you and are the things that you bother God about the things that are showing do they show you how your heart is aligned with him or not do I talk to God about what I want him to do or do I complain to God about what I don't think he's doing Shepherd, my, my 15-year-old, he's almost 16. He's so tall, and it's not fair. He's going to be taller than me. He loves to play basketball. And when he gets it in his head that he wants to play, that's all he talks to me about. Those in-laws that you sit down with this week that you just wish would love Jesus? Really love Jesus. Not in the you know, figurative sense that everybody that lives in the South loves Jesus. When's the last time that you bothered God about that person's salvation? With thanksgiving. God, I'm, I want to talk to you about what I need you to do. I'm going to beg you to do it, and I'm going to be grateful regardless of what happens. Well, guard your hearts and your understanding. Verse 7, you get this. And the peace of God, as we pray, which guards our, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 7, 8, and 9 need to be read together, so I'm going to continue. Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. 
If there's any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received from me, and the God of peace will be with you. It closes with a horseshoe. And sometimes, if you're a preacher, you've used horseshoes in illustrations, or if you've ever heard a good Bible teacher, they'll use horseshoes. And basically what that means is this. It starts here, and then they work their way around, and they come to a conclusion. Seven, eight, and nine work like that. Notice what Paul does. He, he flips it on its head. He talks about the peace of God surpassing understanding. He closes with the God of peace. The peace of God surpasses understanding. I don't get everything, so I will, uh, I'll seek things praiseworthy and excellent and worth lifting up, and the God of peace will be with me. That's how this works its way around. When you look at the passage, it talks about the idea of surpassing all understanding. I think that I need that sometimes because I live in a really hard world and I don't always understand things. I don't understand why sick people get sick. I don't understand why stubborn people are stubborn. I don't understand why difficult people are difficult. I don't understand that I'm all of those things sometimes. Stubborn, difficult, and totally sick right now. I miss those things. I don't want us to miss as followers of Jesus Christ, however, that the God who we worship is whole. And He is complete. And He doesn't need us. He really doesn't. He doesn't need you to make Christmas happen. He doesn't need you to spread Christmas cheer through the year. That's all. That's buddy. But He wants you to be a display of the grace that He's shown you. And you've been given chance after chance after chance to do that. Keep doing that. Maybe in the way that you tip a waiter this week. Maybe in the way that you interact with an exhausted worker at one of the stores that you go to. Maybe just by not buying anything. Interacting with the Lord who's provided for us well. And realizing that he's with us. God, I don't get it all. But I want you, because Lord, you're, you're these things. I want, I want purity. That means I'm going to seek your purity. You're lovely and you're commendable. God, you're excellent. You're praiseworthy. God, I want to focus my mind on you and not miss you in this. That's where we see joy reverberating over and over and over. And the God of peace will be with us. He has promised to be with us. Each week as a follow as a body of believers, we take of the cup and we take of the bread and we celebrate that Christ was his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then I invite you to take of that with us today as a family of faith. I want you to think about all that God has done in your life and what it means that he would meet with you. God would meet with you in an intentional way because for believers, that's what it means. God has met with me intentionally. And when we come to the table and we take of the bread and we drink of the cup, we're being reminded the way that Jesus did this, the physical way that he did this. So I invite you to bow your heads with me this morning and we consider the joy of God and what that means for us and why it means it. But before we move to the table, I'm going to just ask this. If you are in this space this morning and you're already dreading what the next seven to ten days hold, could you raise your hand? You know there's some stress coming for these few days. 
because you're going to deal with moms and dads and aunts and uncles. Okay. Okay. Just know there's extra prayers being said over you this week. We ask, we ask God to move in your lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're, you're true. We thank you that you're good to us. And I pray that we will be people who rejoice over and over and over and over and over. We trust you, Jesus. As we come to the table today, we're grateful that you would meet with us in this way. If you're not a believer, I would just invite you to refrain from the table. If you have any questions about why we come to the table, I've got a better conversation for you. I'll be in the back right-hand corner.